Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast. Today, both a hopeful and a chilling look at big tech control. Also, how do you measure happiness? What a week. Elon Musk really did take over Twitter, and he started things off by firing three of its top officials. There's no telling where all of this leads, but as one person tweeted out in the midst of the transition, at least we have tonight, right? This stands to be one of the biggest game changers, I think, in the modern war over information and propaganda that I really think became a global war in the 2015 time period, with Donald Trump entering the political stage and Democrats and some Republicans as well, extremely fearful of him coming in as an outsider, outside their money system, outside the decisions that they controlled. And the bad guys have clearly been winning and controlling so much. Well, it takes time for the true grassroots to organize and fight back against all of the well-funded and well-executed propaganda and propagandists. So it's taken some time, but I do think we're seeing a bit of a turnaround of sorts. What is the biggest change that may come with Twitter? Well, I think if things work out as they should, then it will lead to a more realistic reflection of society and culture. Instead of the manipulated landscape where we're made to believe that the fringe is the majority and the majority is the fringe, the fringe will once again be seen as the fringe and the rest of it as, well, the rest of it. Now, this is not to say that the majority should dismiss or not tolerate or hate the views of minorities or the fringe or others. I'm simply pointing out, as I've written in my books, that a main goal of all those trying to control our information is to give people the impression that they are an outlier when they're not, to make them or to make you afraid to speak certain things, to voice your views, to discuss scientific studies, whatever it may be. It's a form of control so that you don't express things so that they can make changes that would not otherwise come naturally. So at least in the short term, I see the Musk freeing of the bird, Twitter, as something that gives hope because it shows us that the most powerful controlling big tech propagandists can be taken down, that they are not impervious after all. I don't think this will come without bumps and bruises because the establishment and those who have worked so hard to control everything, they're not going to go down without a fight. They're not going to go down easily. You can be sure they've got things up their sleeve that they're already working on and trying to controversialize Twitter and Elon Musk and to try to reverse things, set them back to where they were. Well, with that, I want to play now a short excerpt from a recent interview I did that I guess you could call somewhat related. The interview is with FBI whistleblower Stephen Friend. He's a special agent who saw what he thought were some really bad things going on in the FBI, but when he tried to object to it or speak out about it, well, he says he was retaliated against. You can watch the full interview on my Rumble channel, that's Cheryl Ackeson, or you can watch my recent story that I aired on Full Measure at fullmeasure.news. One brief segment from this interview, the one I want to play for you now, I couldn't fit into the TV story. It was Steve Friend's chilling account of what happened when his wife privately mentioned his name to someone on Facebook after he'd become a whistleblower. And it implies, he says, what I think that we all suspected or knew anyway, that the FBI is colluding with big tech to spy on us, to monitor us, to control us. 
Here's Steve Friend's account of what happened. You are married, and your wife had an incident where she was communicating privately, if I understand this correctly, with somebody on Facebook, and somehow that private message was seen. Can you tell me about that? Yes. So after my identity became public, there was a, a lot of uh, support that came in. Uh, at the time, I didn't have a social media presence outside of a, a LinkedIn account that I'd set up in the hopes that I maybe could secure employment after the FBI fell through. Um, uh, a woman from Moms for Liberty reached out to a mutual friend of, of ours and said that she wanted to support me. So that friend further uh, passed along that conversation on to us. My wife uh, is an immigrant. She, she comes from Ukraine. So she has a Facebook account and is not, uh, doesn't have her name on it. It has her name in the, the Russian alphabet. So unless you speak Russian, you wouldn't even know anything. She doesn't identify herself on it. She only uses it for private messaging and, and looking at pictures uh, of family. Uh, she sent a direct private message to this woman saying, I'm Steve Friend's wife. And we really appreciate it. It would be very helpful if you could share uh, our story because at this point, at, at that point, uh, I hadn't uh, spoken publicly. Uh, within 30 minutes, she received notification from Facebook that her account was suspended for violating the community standards. She appealed the decision, uh, and the following day, her account was completely shut down. And you assume that's something that was in her direct message? The, uh, yeah, the only thing that was in her direct message was her identifying herself as Steve Friend's wife. What does that say to you? I think that there is definitely some monitoring going on at Facebook, which is definitely contradicting the uh, uh, statements that, that have come from their leadership about monitoring private conversations. Monitoring with the FBI involved? That's my fear, that, that there's definitely some, um, they're working in cahoots with each other uh, and, and they're, they're not afraid to clearly to do it, especially with the rapidness that that happened. They didn't hesitate for one moment and even when an appeal came in and when a news story was broken about it, there was no response from them and the account was shut down. Much more after a short break. All year round, there are challenges to keeping your skin healthy. Salt, sun, chlorine, cold, and wind. That's why I designed Siren A Cosmetics, a line of skin-loving, handmade products that will keep your skin glowing year round. I'm Star, owner of Lemonade Mermaid at store.lemonademermaid.life. I worked hard to formulate fresh, vegan body butters, lotions, scrubs, lip glosses, and more with ingredients that are good for your skin year round. But don't take my word for it. Check out our reviews. My website is store.lemonademermaid.life. And listeners of this podcast can get 20% off my Mermaid Moon Gloss to Balm lip gloss by using the checkout code PODCAST. I hope to see you at store.lemonademermaid.life. Now we're going to hear from Gallup's John Clifton about the polling organization's attempts to measure the level of happiness in society and why it's so important. And I'm the CEO of Gallup, and the title of the book is Blind Spot, The Global Rise of Unhappiness and How Leaders Missed It. We'll get into some of the details in just a moment, but in short form, maybe in a paragraph or so, what does the book refer to when it's talking about blind spot? 
Well, when we started asking people about whether or not they have a lot of stress, sadness, physical pain, worry, or anger in their lives, 10 years ago, we found that there was kind of a moderate amount. But over the past decade, we've seen a massive rise in all of those negative emotions. And when we first released this, there were a lot of people in the press that said, well, gee, Gallup, why is this a surprise? We're experiencing uh, a war in Ukraine. There's a pandemic that won't really go away. And we're uh, experiencing record high inflation. Why is it a surprise that there's so much misery? Well, if they feel that way, then they've missed it because this trend has been coming for a decade straight. And so what our concern is, is that it's been hiding in the very blind spot of leaders and we want to shed light on it. You've said that world leaders tend to pay close attention to other measures like gross domestic product or unemployment, but not so much to their own citizens' well-being. Why do you think that is? I think one is because they feel like they can quantify things like how much money we make, whether or not we have jobs, or whether or not somebody was born, or whether or not they died. But they feel like these feelings are more of amorphous terms and too hard to capture, and it's not true. In fact, there are other ways that you can actually demonstrate that there's an individual and how they feel. You can ask their family and friends, and they say exactly the same thing, that they know how those individuals feel. So there is good survey validation that you can capture these feelings in a measurable way. Why do you think it's important that leaders understand the happiness or unhappiness level of their constituents? The reason they need to be paying attention to these things is because two of the single biggest issues that's facing humanity today are two things they're not really focused on. The first one is global loneliness. Right now, when we ask people globally if there was a time in the past two weeks, if they had a time when they spent it with family and friends, 300 million adults say they don't have a single friend or family member in their life. And it's not just the quantity of friends, it's also quality. 20% of all adults everywhere don't have anyone they can rely on in a time of need. And this loneliness issue is a massive concern for everyone. The second one is workplaces. Any estimate uh, in terms of how many hours we spend working, one estimate is 115,000 hours in a lifetime. That's exactly the same amount as 13 straight years of a person's life. The only thing we do more of is sleep. And right now, people are miserable at work. And the source of the misery is often someone's boss. But if you capture that misery and quantify it, somebody who has a bad job looks statistically, like emotionally, someone who has no work whatsoever. And that's a serious problem. What are some of the big events, name one or two, that people missed or leaders missed because they weren't really picking up on this sense of happiness or unhappiness? Absolutely. So one of them is the Arab uprisings. If we look back to places like Egypt and Tunisia and GDP per capita, it grew in almost a perfect linear fashion. But when we look at it in terms of how people were saying how their lives were going, both were crashing. In fact, it was roughly uh, the global median five years before, 25% of people were thriving in Egypt. The same was true in Tunisia. And both dropped down to about 11 and 14%, putting the countries on par with the Palestinian territories. Another place where we saw this was Brexit. In June of 2016, uh, GDP per capita grew at about 2% in the quarter before the vote. And unemployment was just below 5%, which, of course, many economists say is the natural rate of unemployment. So the economy seemed good. In fact, so much so that Prime Minister Cameron said, I'm going to campaign on this. And he said, if we vote for Brexit, it would be like putting a bomb under our economy. And when we asked people about how their lives were going, we found that it was crashing. We saw one of the largest two-year declines that we've ever seen in the history of our database in the lead-up to that vote. This is why leaders need to pay attention, not just to what people are doing and what they're making, but also how they're feeling. And the election of Donald Trump? 
Well, interestingly here enough in the United States, when you look at how people were reflecting on their lives, there wasn't a massive change. Now, if you think about what the results were, of course, Hillary Clinton won the popular. So when we break out various states and congressional districts, we can see where people were really struggling were the districts that broke for President Trump. So, again, you can see, again, the way people were feeling also influenced the way that they were voting. Over time, is there a way to tell what has made people the happiest, or only are you only looking at unhappiness? No, we're absolutely looking at both terms, uh, both happiness and unhappiness. One thing that is very powerful in a person's life is money. Now, money does not necessarily buy happiness, but it is very hard to be happy without it. So as long as your basic needs are met, after that, the only thing that actually gets you more happiness is things like time with family and friends. And this is why one of the issues of loneliness that we're encouraging more to pay uh, more attention to is so big for the world today. And then one more question made me think of, because of the timing of the survey or how long it's been going on, have you put any thought into the possibility that social media and the Internet are playing a role in people's sense of loneliness or unhappiness? I don't think we can discount the role of social media in terms of how it makes people reflect on their life. Why? Because one of the biggest trends that we've seen when we ask people, rate your life on a scale of 0 to 10, where 0 is the best possible life, uh, 10 is the best possible life, and 0 is the worst possible life. We are now seeing a massive separation between those two. Fifteen years ago, only about 3.5% uh, of people said they had a perfect life at 10. And uh, 15 years ago, it was about 1.7% said, I have the worst life imaginable at zero. Fast forward 15 years later, the people who say their life is at 10 has more than doubled to almost 8%. And the people who say I have the worst imaginable life has more than quadrupled also to 8%. So in terms of how people see their lives, it's pulling away. And one might be because, yes, some are living in more misery than they were before, but now they can see it plainly on social media every single day. In this age of a highly controlled media landscape, it's never been more important to fight the heavy hand of censorship and support truly independent journalism. Go to CherylAckison.com and click the store tab for a great way to do that. There are all kinds of cool products. A lot of them make great gifts that feature catchphrases like, I tested positive for critical thinking and do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. Proceeds support independent journalism causes like the Cheryl Ackeson Ion Awards for off-narrative, accurate reporting. Go to CherylAckeson.com and click the Store tab. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that if so, you'll leave a great review, subscribe to it, and share it with your friends. Check out my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, and now you can support independent journalism by visiting CherylAckeson.com and clicking the Store tab. There are some thought-provoking and fun products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers like you with proceeds benefiting independent reporting causes. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. <laughs>